वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु so namaste everybody and um welcome back to the bhagavad gita class can you all hear me clearly yes all right we are on the ninth chapter of the bhagavad gita and uh, here in the 26th and 27th verses some very powerful practices of bhakti were given devotion love of god 26th verse said krishna is saying worship me and how simple and effective and powerful the worship of krishna is he says patram pushpam phalam toyam leaves flowers just water fruits shivaratri tomorrow so this is uh, that's how you worship shiva for example and one of the names of shiva is ashutosha ashutosha is the one who is easily pleased ashutosha easily pleased it doesn't take a lot to please shiva and so he says the worship of god is very simple the offerings themselves are not expensive nor are they complicated nor is the process complicated but what is necessary is love what is necessary is is devotion reverence love love a pull towards god as reading vivekananda says the old rule applies here in spirituality as everywhere you get what you want and then he says it is not as easy to want spirituality as one might think it's easy to want the world to things in the world but it's not all that easy to want spirituality why not because it's sort of the reverse one has to stop that and then only this this want for god increases the two do not go together because it's the same force basically if it flows out to the world then the that much less d- desire will be there for god in fact god spirituality in any form does not seem real as long as there is a tremendous attraction to the world so he says a devotion with devotion even the smallest of offerings in the simplest of offerings um and krishna says i accept these offerings this is one powerful way of devotion what is that way what is called dravya tyaga um, you offer things to god yeah. in worship even more a pervasive a larger more powerful way the 27th to dedicate whatever we are doing to god so not just a specific worship but just whatever we are doing and it can be done um, you know that erases the difference the gap we make between spiritual life and secular life so this is spiritual but what i do outside is secular meditation is spiritual but reading a book or talking with somebody else is is, is uh, secular no this is whatever we do in this world whether we consider it religious or we consider it secular all of it can be spiritualized they're not automatically spiritual but can be spiritualized how 27th verse yat karoshi whatever you do what do we do and he gives the divisions of that the the classification of what we do 
yadashnasi whatever we consume literally what we eat but also what we see with our eyes what we hear what we smell taste touch whatever things we buy from the world consume from the world all of that he says you madarpanam tat kurushva madarpanam you offer it you you do that as an offering to me so whatever we consume in the world we offer to god and the the rule is to offer to god before consuming right so i have seen many devotees monks spiritual practitioners eating so eating is something that we do all the time eating and drinking so make a little habit of just for a few seconds before we eat or drink offer it to god and becomes prasada the offered food the sac- uh, the s- sacred food so food drink mentally offer it and then take it and it becomes a lifelong practice it's a powerful practice because you're going to eat anyway <laughs> yeah dashnasi so whatever you consume that you consume as an offering to me yad juhoshi all the juhoshi literally means whatever we give in sacrificial offering it's a reference to the vedic worship the kind of religion which was common at that time so they would light a sacrificial fire in the accompaniment of vedic mantras offerings would be put in the fire so the but basically every religious action do you do a puja do you do do you kneel down and pray do you uh, give uh, offerings at the temple church mosque whatever you do any kind of religious activity that we do he says you can do you can offer it to god we do generally but make it that it is an offering to god that attitude then dadasi whatever you give in charity um, it could be money it could be a time and effort and energy it could just be a good turn to somebody just go out of your way volunteer somewhere help somebody uh, or it could just be you know the effort it takes to be nice to somebody when you especially when you're not feeling like being nice so whatever you give and of course it means money property uh, whatever you give all of that mentally internally you give to me uh, whatever you're doing in the world that goes on internally the attitude is that i am giving to krishna i am giving to god in whichever form you worship god yat tapasyasi whatever spiritual practices we undertake repeating a mantra um, you know fasting which shivaratri many will do fasting so the fasting all of that is again an offering to me so whatever we do he has divided it into four categories whatever we consume whatever we give whatever religious activities we perform and whatever you know like self control self improvement all the activities that we perform to you know deliberately control our body and mind all of that tatkurushwa madarpanam um yes now these are the two powerful practices he has given now we'll go ahead 28 verse i had mentioned last time we'll start from there what is the result of these practices the 28 verse was let's just repeat it again shubha shubha phalai revam shubha shubha phalai revam moksha se karma bandhanai मोक्ष से कर्म बंधनै सन्यास योग युक्तात्मा सन्यास योग युक्तात्मा विमुक्तो मामुपैष्यसि विमुक्तो मामुपैष्यसि यू विल गेट रिड ऑफ द बॉन्ड ऑफ कर्म बॉन्डेज ऑफ कर्म 
You'll be free of the bondage of karma. But basically, you will attain liberation, moksha, mukti. Being freed of whatever is good and evil, auspicious and inauspicious, shubha, ashubha. Now, this shubha and ashubha um, is something to be understood here. Shubha and Ashubha, these are words which are common in most Indian languages. It's Sanskrit, of course. Shubha means which is a good, which is auspicious. Um, some activity, some language, some time, some day, some um, you know, um, space, some, some place. These are Shubha. And some are inauspicious, some are not, not good. However, there's a lot to understand here, you know. Um, from the perspective of karma, in which perspective this is said, the, the um, usual understanding of good and bad, auspicious, inauspicious, from the perspective of karma is this. The law of karma, that if we are deliberately what we do is good, dharmic, dharma, then the result is it generates a merit called punya. And that merit ultimately gives rise to something pleasant, something good, something nice in our lives, material benefits. In Sanskrit, sukha, pleasure, happiness. So this is basically the law of, uh, of uh, karma. You do the good, it generates merit, and that merit generates something pleasant in our lives. Dharma, punya, sukha. We deliberately are naughty, adharma, if I do something deliberately, I know it to be wrong and I do it. Adharma leads to papa, which is demerit. And that leads to dukkha, suffering. So adharma, papa, dukkha is suffering. So the first part of it, Vivekananda summarized it even more powerfully. Good, good, bad, bad. And none escape the law. Now that good, good, that part is called shubha. And the bad, bad, that part, you know, the... Adharma, sinful activities leading to suffering, is called Ashubha. And here Krishna says, get rid of both. Shubha, Ashubha, be free yourself from both. Why both? We understand, who, nobody wants to be unhappy. And so if you don't want to be unhappy, don't do bad karma. Don't, do, don't be adharmic. There is a saying that, Nobody wants to do dharma, but they want the result of dharma. That is sukha, happiness. Nobody wants to be unhappy. and no, no, Nobody um, uh, you know, wants to be unhappy, but they want to do the other dharma, which leads to unhappiness. So, um, shubha, ashubha. Shubha is um, good karma leading to good results. Ashubha is evil karma leading to bad results, un unpleasant results. And Krishna says, give up both. Vivekananda explains, Chains though of gold are not less strong to bind, then off with them, bold, um, off with them both, sannyasi bold, say om, tat sat om. So chains made of gold are not less strong to bind. Chains made of iron can bind us, but chains made of gold also bind us. How do they do that? So the understanding in Vedanta, in all of Hinduism, in all of Buddhism, Jainism, all the Indian um, you know, uh, paradigms of spirituality is that we are all bound by causality. 
Causality simply is cause gives rise to effect. Actions have consequences. And we are bound by that. So what we are experiencing now is the consequence of our past lives. What we are now is what we are built in ancient lifetimes. And what we are doing now goes to build what we will be in future. But this is not spirituality. This is worldliness. This worldliness and next worldliness. This is bondage. This is not particularly wise or spiritual. In fact, all of spirituality is trying to go beyond karma, beyond causality. This is one way of understanding spirituality in, in a uh, philosophical way, is to go beyond causality. Within causality is bondage. What is bondage? It, it is being bound by law. You are strictly determined and there is no freedom here. So the goal of spirituality is to attain freedom. That means to go beyond karma. When we talk about karma and the law of karma, I find so many people are fascinated. Uh, in fact, in, on YouTube, I think our uh, IT team, they clipped out one part of some talk. It was on karma and they just put that part. And that's like one of the highest uh, viewed clips ever. But that was not my point at all. <laughs> my point is to go beyond that. People are fascinated by that. Why? It's because we are, we are fascinated by the contents of our lives. Our problems especially. Our hopes, desires and our problems, how to solve them. And our hopes, how to satisfy, how to fulfill our hopes. You might think you're looking quizzical, puzzled. What's wrong with that? That is the very nature of bondage. These are two kinds of religion. One is the conventional kind of religion which helps us, uh, which tells us that you can rearrange your life to, to your liking. So the more of the pleasant, less of the unpleasant. So that is uh, conventional religion. In Vedanta this is called Pravritti Lakshana Dharma. That is the preliminary part of the Vedas, the ritualistic part of the Vedas. And if that sounds too archaic, it's always there. You just look around. When you go to a church or a temple, the majority of people who are going there, what are they going there for? Liberation, enlightenment, to become a Buddha. No, 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 no. Far from it. No, they are going there because we have this life and we are rightly so concerned with this life. We have many problems and many desires and hopes. Now, there's one way of tackling them in this world and we don't see any way of really overcoming many of those problems and really no much you know, hope of attaining all those desires that I have in, a, in my mind. Um, I remember when our first class in economics, economics was defined as the science of satisfying unlimited human wants with limited resources. That's the, that's the first thing you learn in an economics class. And obviously you can't do it. It's not possible. Now religion goes, takes up from there. Since you can't do it, here's a magical way of doing it. You know, here is God and uh, if you pray and if you give these offerings and, um, and uh, if you are a good person, maybe, just maybe, God is going to magically reorder our lives according to our liking. <laughs> maybe. And it does work sometimes. Why does it work? Is it coincidence? No, I firmly believe it does work. God wants it to work also, so that our faith in God increases. Well, then why doesn't it work all the time? Why doesn't God make everything perfect? 
make us perfect, make our lives perfect as we want it to be. Because it cannot be done. Because it would trap us in samsara and samsara is never perfect by definition. That was the deep insight. The first thing that the Buddha discovered. Sarvam Dukkham. The first noble truth. Why is everything sorrow? Because that's the very nature of samsara. Samsara cannot be made uh, perfect. There is perfection available. In enlightenment, God realization, moksha, mukti, nirvana, whatever you call it, salvation. All religions say that there is a perfection possible. There is an escape beyond causality, beyond samsara. There is an attainment, what we want, what we really truly want, fulfillment, that's possible. But not where you are looking. Not in the contents of your life. One Swami put it very, very roughly but precisely. Somebody had come with problems, you know, sorrow and suffering in samsara. And the Swami shouted at this person, I am not interested in your problems. How harsh, how unkind. Not interested in your problems. I am interested in you. Immediately opens up a gap between I and my problems. I am not my problems. My problems do not define me. I'm interested in you. I'm not interested in your problems. Uh, Vedanta is interested in you. Vedanta is not interested in your samsara. In fact, Vedanta wants to get rid of your samsara. Which is why both the good karma and bad karma needs to go. Shubha, shubha, With the auspicious, inauspicious. The good and the bad. Both the golden chain and the iron chain. What does it mean golden chain and iron chain? It just means good and bad karma gives rise to continued limited existence. I have this birth, this life, it will end very soon. Don't look surprised. It's going to end very soon for <laughs> all of us. Some of you in 75, 80, 90, 100 years maybe. Some of us within a short time. It, it will end. But it doesn't end there. Our life goes on. Uh, nobody, nobody is... Uh, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, physical death is not the end of life. So life goes on and we will have further lives. Are they random? No, they're produced by causality, cause and effect. Our stored, the causation which we have built up over many lifetimes, that produces life after life after life. Some of them very pleasant, nice, but all too brief and over, and some of them very unpleasant. They're also brief, but they seem very long because they're unpleasant. So this is golden chain, iron chain, and both we have to get rid of. That's what Krishna is saying. Overcome, get rid of good and bad karma. How do you do that? There are different ways. The bhakta will say by the devote, the devotee of the Lord, by love of God, the, by the grace of God, our karma is wiped out. Presidential pardon for all. Uh, so it's uh, by the grace, it's it's all wiped out. That's one. Or by the way of non-dual knowledge, you realize you are Brahman, ever free. You always were free of causality. You are this infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. You, you realize this and you see it's a fact. So you are free of it. No matter who the villain is, no matter who the hero is, no matter who, whatever the people have done, if it's a movie, the screen has no problem with anything at all. The movie screen on which the hero and the villain are appearing and doing terrible things and good things, neither touches the screen. So... The, that is the way of getting over. This is, this is called karma. From the karma's perspective, shubha and ashubha means good karma leading to pleasant life, 
bad karma leading to unpleasant life this is what is meant by shubha ashubha auspicious in auspicious um from a bhakti perspective devotional perspective what is shubha and ashubha shubha good and ashubha evil or bad from a devotional perspective it's not um that which gives rise to pleasant consequences i do dharma and there are pleasant consequences no if there are pleasant consequences i will forget my beloved lord sometimes unpleasant consequences remind me of of, of the lord but then the problem is if you are a devotee if you are a saint the things there won't be unpleasant consequences for you because you are really a really very good boy or girl <laughs> so um kunti the mother of the pandavas at the end of the mahabharata war she prays to krishna that let me be born again and again even in suffering so that i remember you that i do not forget you so she is not really worried about the pleasant and unpleasant consequences and what will come in life in future lives no i just want to remember you as long as god is in my mind as long as my mind my lips repeat the the holy names of god the mantra of god as long as these hands are engaged in the service of god that is shubha for me that is auspicious for me even the most pleasant of uh, occasions if i forget god if i get engaged in samsara that is inauspicious for me although from the perspective of someone outside it might be very very nice and very pleasant no so from a bhakta's perspective love of god remembrance of god that day is a good day uh, when uh, i i take the name of krishna or take the name of uh, of a hari shiva that day is unpleasant when i'm so happy and engaged with the world that i forget god there is a very touching story which i heard recently from swami uh, chetanananand ji uh, gopalerma the uh, old um, widow who spent all her life repeating the mantra of the baby krishna and had visions of krishna and so on and sri ramakrishna thought very highly of her spirituality so later on long time after sri ramakrishna had passed so she continued her life like that and many of the devotees would supply things for us what she needed uh, she wouldn't accept anything somebody realized that she lived in this tiny little room um and uh, somebody realized that she was being troubled by mosquitoes so they offered her um, a mosquito curtain a mosquito net here many of you don't know but if you have been in india you know what is a mosquito net and you better have one there so they offered her one and that night when she put it up nicely this nice new mosquito net and she went inside it and lay down to sleep she was worried by thinking that maybe the rats might come and you know cut bite into the mosquito net this fine mosquito net and uh, you know make a hole in it um she was worried about it the rats might chew on it next morning early in the morning she packed up the mosquito net and arrived at the uh, place where, uh, the, of the, the devotee who had offered it to her and said here i bought it back for you take back your mosquito net i forgot i did not think of gopal like baby krishna last night i kept on thinking of the mosquito net <laughs> return take it back so no i don't want anything in the samsara including pleasant things comfortable things which make me forget god one monk said very touchingly he was saying that uh, brahmacharis brahmacharis are the novices monastic novices 
I'll tell you in Hindi it'll be easier for me to translate. Translate. He said, "Aaj kal aaj kal ke brahmachari to suvidhar dhunte hain. These days novices, monastic novices, they keep looking for comfort. Sochte hain suvidha hogi to tapasya hoga. So once some I get some measure of comfort, I shall practice spiritual disciplines, meditation and what what not. And then he said, with a touch of pathos, he said, "Bolo." सुविधा में कभी तपस्या होता है टेल मी इज इट पॉसिबल टू प्रैक्टिस स्पिरिचुअल ऑस्टेरिटीज तपस्या वेन इन द मिडस्ट ऑफ कंफर्ट बिकॉज द वेरी डिजायर फॉर स्पिरिचुअलिटी विल बिकम माइल्डर एंड विल इवेपोरेट वेन यू इन द मिडस्ट ऑफ कंफर्ट दैट एक्सप्लेन्स वाई इन ओल्ड टाइम्स whether it is the monks in india in the mountains and forests of india or um, you know the desert fathers in the um, the deserts of egypt just after the time of the christ or the monks uh, spiritual seekers hermits why did they actively seek out difficult lives you know isolated lives lives of which we would consider unpleasant or very difficult one reason is this deliberately so devotee that's the devotee's attitude what is shubha and what is ashubha then there is the gyani's attitude the gyani the enlightened one the person who realizes what is brahman it's like this how does the gyani the enlightened one overcome the pleasant and the unpleasant so the classic example of seeing a um, a snake in a rope the buddhist uh, not the buddhist uh, the vedantic idea of seeing a snake in a rope uh, it, it, example so the rope by mistake is seen as a snake just like that there is only one existence consciousness place brahman and that is experienced as this objective world and as this uh, individual subjectivity so that is the snake but actually the whole example is like this in the semi darkness there was this rope but nobody knew it was a rope someone said it's a snake someone else took a look and said no 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 it's a uh, garland discarded from the temple after the worship has been done this garland has been offered to the deity and afterwards someone has tossed it away it's a garland and then lighten one says oh no it's not a snake it's not a garland it's a rope now shubha ashubha auspicious inauspicious the snake is inauspicious the garland is auspicious but there's one thing common to both both are not real if the rope is actually real <laughs> similarly what we think to be auspicious what we think to be inauspicious what we think to be good what we think to be evil they are appearances there is a reality which is deeper than both the enlightened one sees that a little more about shubha shubha before we go on there's another way of analyzing this uh in vedanta we talk about four categories of of uh, people the pamara the vishayi the sadhaka and the siddha the pamara the sanskrit word pamara means a person who leads an instinctive life literally it means the uncultured the low it means an instinctive life i do exactly what i want just now now it's all right if you're a little kid very little kid not to <laughs> but if you're grown up that's now no way of living so the person who is instinctive just wants pleasure and uh, maybe wealth artha and kama kama pleasure uh, whatever if i find pleasing i must have it now and some people are just like that um somebody who is an alcoholic or drug addict is trapped by addiction uh, my uh, 
pleasure is all that that matters to me they are some are pleasure and success in this world as long as the irs or the cops don't catch me uh, i'm fine i'm not interested in spirituality or religion or whatever so for him for this person shubha and ashubha what is ashubha what is inauspicious any kind of you know morality philosophy spirituality completely inauspicious and what is auspicious go out there and have fun an opportunity to make money uh, illegally uh, what is called a quick buck quick buck that is auspicious and, and partying and so that's auspicious shubha uh, shubha good and bad the next level is the person is the vishayi uh, vishayi means a worldly person but who understands that this kind of life instinctive life does not lead to happiness it's not sustainable very soon it leads to misery so i still want success in this world but i realize that i have to be a decent person to be successful in this world so this person bases his or her seeking of pleasure and success in the world artha and kama on the basis of dharma the first person the pamara wants only artha and kama artha means money success wealth prosperity and kama pleasure that's all but this this next person the vishayi wants artha and kama on the basis of dharma on, on the basis of morality and most people are like that i mean if you dismiss the fancy sanskrit terms it just means what you would call a good person trying to make his or her way in the in the world all of us almost all of us we have standards of morality we we think of ourselves as good people and there are things that we would not um descend to do so dharma there is a uh, moral basis a kind of limits of decency which we do not exceed and we pursue our worldly goals now what would be shubha and ashubha for such a person you can think good and evil so yes misfortune in this world is evil if i lose money on on wall street or if uh, you know uh, the menu doesn't cons- consist of the things which i love most uh, that's evil for me but also um if i uh, if i am sinful if i break the law if i do something that makes me feel guilty that's evil for me also so such a person wants to be within the limits of morality wants to be a moral person a good person also a rich person you know a happy person in this world so shubha shubha changes sharply when you go from the first level to the next level then comes the third level the spiritual seeker this person may be in the world may be a monk may be in the world also however the world is no longer the goal of such a person the goal of such a person is enlightenment god realization and you might say that might be rare no actually many people just by the fact that you turn up for you know discussion on spirituality on on meditation philosophy it already shows that force working within us yes. so our goal now becomes moksha moksha enlightenment liberation freedom and dharma artha kama are no longer our goals so the dharma that uh, we practice is what is called nishkama dharma nishkama dharma means without worldly desire the other kind of dharma which was practiced with worldly desire was that you know which leads to that golden chain which leads to good results i'm doing good so that my life is good my present life 
No longer that kind of dharma. Now the dharma that we practice, we do good because it is good to be good. It purifies me, makes me a more moral, a better person, so that I can reach for my spiritual goals. One can be good and not particularly spiritual, but one cannot, cannot be spiritual and not good. So this person, the third, the sadhaka, sadhaka, spiritual practitioner, spiritual seeker, uh, is now reaching for God-realization. And again think, shubha, shubha will change for this person. What is good and bad? So for this person, it's no longer, um, certainly no longer worldly prosperity or failure. That's no longer the calculus, not lo standard. Not even just morality. It is my spiritual endeavors, my spiritual practice, my devotion, my knowledge, my meditation. If that goes well, that is good for me. If that doesn't go well, that's not good for me. So the whole calculus changes. And finally you get to the Siddha, the fully enlightened one, where again the, the person does not want Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha because that person has already attained Moksha, has attained liberation, the enlightened one. But the enlightened one, what is Shubha, Shubha? Goes beyond both. This is what Krishna is saying. Shubha, Shubhair, Phalei, Deva, Moksha, Se, Karma, Bandhanir. So, this, just this description of Shubha and Ashubha uh, they, these are uh, so much is there to be discussed. You might think I'm spending too much time on this. Actually, no. Uh, all of what I said was from a sadhu in Uttarakhand. <laughs> and he was discussing it in the context of um, Sthita Pragya. In the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna answers this question about what is it like to be enlightened. The second thing he says is, no, the th third thing he says is, Ya sarvatra navisneya tat tat prapya shubha shubham. Who, the enlightened one um, has no attachment, does not react when shubha and ashubha come. And there this monk described the whole range of what is shubha and ashubha. So I just sort of borrowed it from there and put it here. When you do this, what happens? Moksha, you're free. Free of what? Karma bandhani, free of the bondage of karma. What is the bondage of karma? The golden chain and the iron chain. The bondage of causality. You are free. The body is never free. You as the Atman, as pure conscious, you, uh, consciousness, you are free. And what do we have to do for this? Sannyasa yoga yuktatma. So the endowed with the yoga of renunciation. What is the yoga of renunciation? That's not one I have come across. I've come across anger and hot yoga and Vikram yoga and, <laughs> and what else? Kundalini yoga. and uh, But I haven't come across this yoga of renunciation. What does, what does it mean? Here the commentator, I'm taking Sridhar Swami's commentary. Sannyasa yoga yuktatma, sannyasa karmana madarpanam sayeva yoga tena yukta. Sannyasa means giving up. Renunciation. Renunciation of what? That's a big question. Because it, it's a very delicate question also. Because remember, right here, what is the situation? Arjuna is just about to give up this battle. He is ready. He just needs a little push from Krishna or a little uh, okay from Krishna. You, you're on the right track. He's uh, about to run away from the battlefield and become a monk or something. Uh, but Krishna says here, renunciation, giving up, sannyasa, renunciation, means... To continue to do what you are doing. 
and give up the results to God, offer them to God. He says, Madar Parnam, exactly what was said in the 27th verse, the verse before this. That practice, he says, that is giving up. That is the renunciation of karma. The renunciation of karma is to not stop doing action, not to withdraw from everything, but to keep on doing it, uh, but mentally offer everything to God. That I am doing it for you, my Lord. And he says, this practice is yoga. So give, that giving up is the renunciation, sannyasa, and the practice, this particular practice to continue to do that, this is yoga. And the person who does this will attain me. Will attain me means, again, from the devotional perspective, there is Vishnu or Krishna, uh, and in heaven, Vaikuntha, Goloka, the Vaishnava conception of heaven, after death, the devotee, the lover of Krishna goes there and stays there in the presence of God. That's one way. The other way, the jnanis from the enlightened persons, from the person on the path of Advaita Vedanta, is the realization of our true nature. Swami Vivekananda uses a very interesting language. He says, um, um, he says that uh, God realization or what amounts to the same thing, self-realization. Yeah. Very carefully worded. It's not that they are exactly the same, but what amounts to the same thing. It leads to the same result. Then, uh, 29th verse. Samoham Sarvabhuteshu Samoham Sarvabhuteshu Name Dveshyostina Priya Name Dveshyostina Priya Ye Bhajanti Tumam Bhaktya Ye Bhajanti Tumam Bhaktya Mai Tete Shuchapyaham Mai Tete Shuchapyaham I am the same to all beings. There is no one hateful or dear to me. But they who worship me with devotion are in me and I am also in them. Um, so in the introduction to this verse, the commentator Sridhar Swami says, So you give moksha, liberation, going beyond causality. You take up the iron chain and the gold, golden chain for your devotees. That's what you have said. Krishna said yes. And then you know, the commentator asks, in that case, those who are not your devotees may not be interested in religion or may, you know, may not be interested in God or devotion to God. So aren't you partial? Aren't you being partial? Aren't you offering, you love me and I will give you freedom. Don't love me. So it's a very needy kind of God. <laughs> yeah. Is, isn't this uh, what Vaishamyam, isn't this partiality? And if they love you, then you will give moksha. If they don't love you, then you don't give moksha. Then in answer to that, Krishna says, no. I am exactly the same to everybody. The difference does not lie in me or my attitude to anybody. I offered myself equally to everybody. I offered moksha, liberation, equally to everybody. All the time. The doors of heaven are always open. But there is a difference in those who walk in and those who don't. As Vivekananda said, as always, it depends on what we want. You will get what you want. And it's not so easy to want spirituality. That's Vivekananda said this. Krishna is saying that. 
I am exactly the same to everybody. Ye bhajanti tu maam bhaktya. Those who love me and worship me, devotion, they come to me. I am in them and they are in me. So they become one with me, let's put it that way. Or if you are a devotee, you attain to the heaven of religion or spirituality. So here, the commentator Shankaracharya and the commentator Sridhar Swami, they use the example of fire. Fire, Shankaracharya also says, and this commentator also says that, just as fire equally gives heat to everybody, but in order to benefit from it, you must come near it. You must come near it and warm yourself with the heat of the fire. So you must turn towards it. You must not go away from it. And then blame fire. Why are you giving a warmth to the person who is huddled close to you? And I who am so far away from you, why are you partial? You know, you're not giving me warmth. Well, come close. But then you have to come away from the dark, which is samsara. Come closer to the light. So here he says, Those who resort to fire, Tamaha, Shita, the Dukham, Apakurvati, Kurvatuapi, Navaishamyam, Tamaha, darkness, Shita, cold. Fire removes darkness and cold for those who resort to fire, not for those who do not. And you cannot accuse fire of being partial. Exactly in that, in that way. Those who resort to God, God, those who come close to God, for them. So the original charge, uh, you know, in Sanskrit, the commentator had said, Yadi bhaktibhya, bhaktibhya eva moksham dadasi na bhaktibhya tarhi tathapi kim raga dveshadi kritam vaishamyam asti. So, if only for devotees you offer moksha, you do not offer moksha, liberation for those who are not your devotees, isn't there likes and dislikes? There's an impartiality caused in you because you like some. They like you, therefore you like them. And they, they are those who do not like you, therefore you don't like them. So is the, isn't it partiality? And his answer is there's no partiality here. And then he goes further. Dramatic statement. Now he's going to talk about the power of devotion, love of God. 30th verse. Apichet Sudurachāro Apichet Sudurachāro Bhajate Māmananya Bhāg Bhajate Māmananya Bhāg Sādhureva Samantavya Sādhureva Samantavya Samyak Vyavasito Hisa Samyak Vyavasito Hisa even if a very wicked person worships me to the exclusion of anybody else, he should be regarded as righteous, for he has rightly resolved. So he says, Sudurachara, a person who is actually immoral, wicked, uh, doing evil things, suddenly turns, you know, what we say in the United States, finds religion, <laughs> finds God, becomes religious, spiritual. He should be, this person, he or she should be considered as a sadhu, as a good person, as um, you know, moral person, even a saintly person, we immediately recoil. Why? Just because he loves God, I'm going. I, I have to think of this person as a good person. He says because not because this person has become a good person just by loving uh, God. So because this person has rightly resolved, rightly resolved. And we'll see what will happen 
or because of the right um, resolve later on we'll see next in the next verse but he makes a very big um, claim for the power of devotion but he, he makes it very clear bhajate maam ananya bhag truly devoted not just lip service i found god now my all my uh, debts have to be forgiven and you i've been nasty to you you have to forgive me because i'm now religious no no such a person even will not seek forgiveness from others he'll just hold on to god deeply um and that is so transformative very soon this person becomes a, a holy person a spiritual person girish ghosh is a classic example he was a drunkard and given to all sorts of immorality sri ramakrishna loved him so much and people were upset with him because he is a man of loose character why does sri ramakrishna allow him to come close often sri ramakrishna could not stand people of loose character those who were liars and so on cheats but girish ghosh he, he loved and encouraged so much why there is one big difference girish ghosh has tremendous faith in him a tremendous faith in god especially in sri ramakrishna and the result was over time the man was completely transformed the people used to come to see him that uh, bhakto girish he has become a devotee a lover of god did he change his, his ways he did all of it dropped out and all he was completely transformed in the way he talked thought and the way he lived his life became a, a saintly person there is the beautiful story of uh, angulimal if you go back 2500 years ago i think every one of the incarnations does one of these miraculous things you know takes hold of a lost case and transforms it so radically so if you make a good person better this not not much credit to you you make a hopeless person transform it into somebody who's saintly and a tremendously good person that is miraculous So Angulimala, who was this great, um, terrible dacoit, who frequented a a dense forest and he would kill people and collect their um, fingers and made a garland of it, and he would wear that garland. Now the Buddha, on his way, begging for food, he was going to cross that forest. People told him, "Don't go in there. The terrible Angulimala is there. Angulimala, Anguli means fingers. Mala means a garland. He's there." and if he if you chance upon him he'll kill you and the buddha calmly walked inside and of course angulimal saw this lone traveler so he chased him he came up uh, sneaked up behind him to kill him but he couldn't catch up so he started walking faster still couldn't catch up started running after this lone monk who was walking in the distance and he couldn't he couldn't narrow the gap between himself and that and that receding figure of that monk finally he gasped and he shouted bikku oh oh uh, monk stop stop and the buddha looked back at him and said i stopped long ago angulimala when will you stop and just that transformed him completely he burst into tears and fell at his feet and said save me my lord and then the buddha uh, asked him to perform penances and if i'm not wrong he actually became a monk afterwards that's angulimala a story of girish ghosh there is the story of jogai and madhai in the story in the life story of chaitanya mahaprabhu so i mean many such stories so people who are completely transformed by the by a divine presence
Then 31st verse, he says this, next verse. He says, why should a person who is not good, why should we consider this person to be good and even saintly if that person just becomes devoted to God, sincerely devoted to God? Thirty-first, Shipram Bhavati Dharmatma, Shipram Bhavati Dharmatma, Shashwat Shantim Nigachati, Shashwat Shantim Nigachati, Kaunteya Pratijanihi, Kaunteya Pratijanihi, Name Bhakta Pranashyati, Name Bhakta Pranashyati. Very powerful verse. This person soon becomes righteous-minded and attains eternal peace. O son of Kunti, proclaim to the world that my devotee never perishes. This line, we, you know, devotees, they, they imprint it on their minds. Name bhakta pranashyati. Pratijani, kanteya. Know it for certain. I proclaim to you, I promise to you, my devotee never perishes. My devotee never perishes. If you love God, even in the least, he, he, she, it, whatever it is, will love you back many, many times more. This is, oh, this is a matter of faith, you know, you're just believing such things. Yes, and Krishna says, believe it. Yeah. Next, the next line, he says, believe it. I I'm telling you, believe it. And he says, you can proclaim it with confidence. Now Arjuna doubted, just like us. Look, I like you and I respect you and you're saying this, but this is a little crazy. <laughs> just because someone is devoted to you, is going to be transformed, is going to become um, saintly and you want me to have confidence in that, is, that's the power of bhakti, love for you. And that too very fast, that it won't take a long time, you know, many lifetimes of spiritual practice, then that's not a no biggie. But just by love of God you'll be transformed, it's a bit too much. And he's thinking, what will my friends, and the commentator says that, you are a simple person, Krishna, after all, you, Krishna is a cowherd, you know, so he doesn't know people in high society. What will people in Manhattan think, the jet set, you know, <laughs> if, I say, if I say such silly stuff? <laughs> um, the commentator says here, in Sanskrit, I'll read it out and translate Kutarka karkashavadino naitan manyeran iti shankya akulita chittam arjunam protsahyati. Says Arjuna is a little disturbed. He can't say it out loud. But he, uh, he doesn't, he, is, he says, I might make an effort and believe what you are saying. I would like to believe it. But I know all of these, my cool friends. <laughs> Who have who are sophisticated, who are full of skeptical arguments and karkashavadi that they are they'll they'll have harsh and cutting comments to make. And they're not going to think this way and accept this. This is to encourage him and to give him confidence. Krishna says, Pratijani, he know it for certain. I proclaim to you, Name Bhakta Pranashyati, my devotee never perishes. And here Krishna says it so straightforward, so powerfully. Here the commentator, he magnifies it even further. He says, Hey Kaunte, O son of Kunti, O Arjuna. And he says, 
He says, Mahaghoshapurvakam, with drums, beating drums, with make a tremendous announcement on all social media platforms. You can go and make an announcement. Vivadamananam Sabham Gattva. Go to the uh, gathering of people where they debate such things and say that God doesn't exist, poo-poo such things. Bahum uh, Utkshipya, raise both hands, Nishankam, with, with no doubt, without, without a shred of doubt. Pratijani hi pratigyam kuru. Make a, procl a proclamation. Uh, what kind of proclamation? Me parameshwarasya bhakta su durajaro api napranashyati apitu kritarthayeva bhavati iti. Those who are devoted to God, even if you, in your eyes, in the eyes of the people, they are, um, they are no good. They are fallen. No good. Well, losers. <laughs> He says, such a person will never perish. Not only that, apitu bhavati. They will attain fulfillment. They will become enlightened and realize God and be free. So, I'm reminded of the confidence of, of a Socrates who is drinking the hemlock. And people are weeping. Socrates' last words, he says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. I go to a, a, a greater, brighter world and for you is this dark world to, to suffer. So that kind of confidence, he, he says, they will, uh, they will never come to a bad end. And not only that, they will attain the highest, they will attain God-realization. Tell all those cool people. You don't have to avoid them, you don't have to feel shy about, about it. Proclaim it with the greatest confidence. So, and then he says, what will happen? Tataschateya. And then what will happen to them? Tvat praudi vijrimbha vidvam sita kutarka nishamshayam twameva gurutve nashrayaran. So their uh, uh, skeptical arguments swept away by this tremendous glowing confidence of yours. They will accept you as their teacher, as a spiritual teacher. They will be converted to your way of thinking. And this has happened again and again in the history of I mean, in so many places. I, can, I was thinking, when I was reading these lines, I was thinking of two examples which came to my mind immediately. Um, more than a thousand years ago, Ramanujacharya, the great teacher of bhakti, of devotion, in the south of India, he was already well known as a teacher of bhakti. Now, um, this great uh, scholar, Yagyamurti, he came to debate with Ramanujacharya. So he, he was uh, named to reckon with. People used to be scared of him because uh, he was so learned and he could defeat anybody just like that. Uh, and so he went, and when he would come, he would come with a, uh, with a uh, you know, convoy of, in those days, bullock carts. With all the bullock carts had all their, uh, all his books. Nowadays you could put it in a flash drive or it might be in a cloud. But in those days, but it makes a much more uh, intimidating sight if you're followed by a convoy of bullock carts, you know, which raises the dust in the sky. You can see the dust coming from, from long distance and people say, run for your lives, <laughs> Yagyamurti is coming. He's going to challenge you for a, uh, to a debate. Um, so the deba this challenger came and challenged uh, Ramanujacharya. That you are spreading this doctrine of bhakti, but he was uh, going was talking about non-dualism and uh, advaita, and so he challenged him to a debate. 
and ramanuj accepted the uh, challenge and there was a big debate but the challenger was so learned and so intimidating in his debating that ramanuj began to lose the debate uh-huh. and uh, then on the last day when the decision was about to be taken who has won the debate ramanuj knew that he had lost lost the debate he prayed to um uh, lord shrinivasa you know in sri rangapuram so he played prayed to vishnu and uh, that i was just spreading your bhakti devotion to god now if it is your will that i will lose this and my mission will fail then it, i surrender to you but this is all i wanted i don't want to win debates or lose debates and it's it's nothing to me so next day he was sitting and this the challenger came in full confidence but as he approached ramanujacharya he began to lose his confidence and by the time he approached came near ramanujacharya he fell flat and uh, in, in sashtanga in the uh, pranam in the, the salutation to ramanujacharya he fl- fell flat on the ground and saluted ramanujacharya with tears in his eyes he said please forgive me what foolishness i have been doing to challenge you he actually had a vision of the lord behind ramanujacharya uh, you know so he, he so every hair on his body stood on the end and said here is this man who has realized god was god in his heart and what what foolishness am i am i spending time and you know challenging him so he became a very great follower of ramanujacharya one of the uh, most learned members of his group that is one the other example was um sarv vasudeva sarvabhauma who um chaitanya mahaprabhu so when chaitanya mahaprabhu was teaching the doctrine of bhakti and he went from navadweep in bengal to puri jagannath puri in orissa at that time vasudeva sarvabhauma was there a very great scholar devotional also but a great scholar of uh, vedanta and he heard that a um a, a young monk has come who sheds tears at the name of krishna and sings and dances and goes into samadhi so vasudev sarvabhauma went actually he knew uh, chaitanya mahaprabhu from navadweep he found this that he has become a monk oh, i know this lad he has become a monk and clearly a very pure soul but what is this silliness in taking the name of krishna singing and dancing uh, he is a fit candidate for non dual knowledge he said will you come and stay with me i will teach you vedanta Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his simplicity said yes all right i'll stay with you so he went with vasudev sarvabhauma and in the every day there used to be vedanta classes daily and vasudev sarvabhauma would expound the brahma sutras with shankara's commentary and chaitanya mahaprabhu sat quietly did not react did not say yes no nothing no questions quietly after a few days vasudev sarvabhauma was very upset he said um that look i've been teaching you all this time no reaction like are you dumb or what are you getting what what i'm saying do you understand it do you do not understand it do you agree do you not agree and chaitanya mahaprabhu with great humility he said i understand what the text says i don't understand your explanation one bit <laughs> and vasudev sarvabhauma was furious he started a debate with chaitanya mahaprabhu about uh, the interpretation of the vedanta sutras but anyway to cut a long story short what happened at the end was he not de- defeating chaitanya mahaprabhu in debate he had the vision of uh, of narayana the combined form of rama and krishna 
uh, in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And having that vision, he fell down unconscious. And when he came to his senses, uh, with folded hands and tears flowing from his eyes, he fell at the feet of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and asked for his forgiveness and became a convert to bhakti in the path of devotion. So this, this is what Krishna is saying. Proclaim it with full confidence. Don't worry about your, your logic and arguments and sounding cool. or doesn't matter. With full confidence you proclaim it, I am with you. You will see all of that will be swept away. I remember uh, an incident. Sri Ramakrishna is talking about bhakti, devotion to God. And there was a pandit, a scholar in that group who was making some cutting remarks, you know, and was trying to be funny. Then suddenly Sri Ramakrishna turned to him and said, what kind of a pandit are you? Do you not know in how many janmas, how many lifetimes of punya, of good merit, of lifetimes of merit, good karma, one gets a little devotion to God. And you are trying to, um, you know, being skeptical and trying to prove that, prove that God doesn't exist. You are trying to you know, destroy that little devotion that these people have. What kind of a pandit are you? And the pandit was so ashamed that it reco it's recorded. He was so ashamed he got up and shame he ran away from that place. Um, so yes, this is what Krishna is talking about. Um, we will wrap it up here unless somebody has a question or a comment. Yes. So the practices mentioned in verse twenty six and the sannyasa. Twenty six, twenty seven. Yes, that, that is Sannyasa Yoga Yuktatma, the 27th one, where all activities are given to God, Ishwara. So, it sounds similar to Karma Falatyaga. Yes, yes, Karma Falatyaga. Uh, offer everything to God. In 12th chapter, again, five-step practice will be given. First one, second one, like that, five levels, um, each easier than the earlier one where it, all these will be included also. But yes, Karma Falatyaga, offering the results of the action to God. Here he says, even offering the action itself to God. Whatever you are doing, you are doing to God. For uh, for God. Hmm. Yes. Uh, what is uh, the difference in the attitude of somebody who is on the path of karma or karma yoga versus somebody who is on the path of devotion or bhakti? And like do they, of course both of them eventually sort of may lead to separate direction, but do they eventually get to the same path or they come. To, I don't know if they come to the same path, but they come to the same realization. So Vivekananda is very clear about it. He says the goal is that uh, the, each soul is potentially divine. The goal is to attain, to manifest this divinity already within us. And you do it by work, karma yoga. By love, bhakti yoga. By psychic control, meditation, raja yoga. By uh, philosophy, he says. He uses the word philosophy. So he means jnana yoga. By one or more or all of these and be free. That is the whole of religion. Books, temples, doctrines, churches are secondary details. So this is a very broad picture. Now when you come to the actual, um, you know, the, uh, the schools, the darshanas, Advaita Vada, Vishishta Advaita, Advaita, there, there, is, there are particular hierarchical arrangements. So, if you ask an Advaitin, your question, the answer would be that, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Karma Yoga, there's no path of Karma Yoga, no path of Bhakti Yoga. 
Karma Yoga is preliminary for everybody. With Karma Yoga, one gets purification of mind. And then through bhakti and meditation, one gets focus. Bhakti and bhakti yoga and raja yoga together can be called upasana. One gets focus of mind, ekagrata, chitta ekagrata. With a focused and pure mind, you come to the practices of non-dualism, of, uh, of jnana, shravana, manana, that generates the knowledge which removes the ignorance, you realize you are Brahman. So this is the process. But notice how the yogas have been arranged hierarchically. First karma yoga, preliminary. Basic. Will it lead to the same realization? No, 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 it won't. It's like saying, um, I want to go to Mumbai. Uh, so how, how do you get to Mumbai? Uh, well, first you take a cab from here to JFK and you take a plane from JFK to Mumbai. Now, if you say, no, tell me. Does the, one, the path of the cab and the path of the, of the uh, plane from JFK, do they both take you to the same goal? Yes, they do, but they are not independent paths. It's not an it's not an option. You have to do both. You can't say, "Tell me one." You have to do both. That is the um, hierarchy of the yogas, which is established. So you should then why not say that? Why just say four yogas? The reason is, if you follow that hierarchy, it will work. It will take you to enlightenment. But that's just one paradigm. Well, if you go to Vishishta Dvaita, Dvaita, Shuddha Dvaita or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Achintya Bheda Ved, all those paths, there they will reverse it. For them also Karma Yoga is uh, Karma Yoga is preliminary, it purifies the mind. But Jnana Yoga is next and Bhakti Yoga is highest. Why would that be? Because their metaphysics are different. So by Jnana Yoga, with Karma Yoga you purify your mind, by Jnana Yoga you realize you are not the body, not the mind, you are consciousness, pure consciousness, you are Atma. Now by Bhakti Yoga, you connect your Atma to Paramatma. Because you are part of Paramatma, you are not identical. So devotion must be the final practice. <coughs> if you come to the Vaishnava Vedanta uh, paradigm, I mean sorry, the Gaudiya Vaishnava, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's paradigm, if you go there, he'll say even all those Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, not necessary. Just Bhakti itself will take you from the beginning to the end. Pure devotion. Not mixed with knowledge or any, anything like that. So these are different paradigms. Now if you want to be inclusive about all of them, what's the broad picture? Spiritual practices take you to God. And all spiritual practices, Vivekananda sort of broadly classified under um, the knowledge practices, the meditative practices, devotional practices and action. Psychologically also it makes sense. The you know, modern psychology will tell you, we have these four capacities. One is the, the uh, cognitive dimension, knowledge, understanding. The other one is the affective dimension, feeling, heart. And then the third one is the cognitive dimension, the will, willpower, the ability to do things. And the last one is focus, which is so important. Now notice, these four, they correspond to the four yogas. Cognitive dimension of our ability to think and understand, jnana yoga. Affective dimension, the ability to feel, bhakti yoga. The cognitive dimension, the ability to work, willpower, karma yoga. And focus, the meditation, raja yoga. So it's a sort of broad picture. Now there's more to be understood about this. When your question was, will somebody on the path of karma yoga uh, attain to the same realization as the path of, in the path of bhakti yoga? So what I said so far, 
in the traditional schools if you go and ask say, such a question they will say there's no path of karma yoga as such it will dovetail into the other paths your path of karma yoga will lead you to bhakti and in fact it's not that you start off with karma yoga for 20 years and then bhakti yoga for 10 years and then gyan yoga for 5 years no all of them must go together one must be devotional one must serve one must meditate regularly and inquire this is a sort of integral path of vedanta um but vivekananda he gave special emphasis on karma and he says even by action but his action the karma yoga if you read that uh, is basically it contains the essence of gyana yoga and bhakti yoga already so he says even by the path of action one uh, can attain enlightenment but what he means by action you will see basically it, it comes out as uh, vedanta advaita or or bhakti both can be done yeah i'm sorry to leave it at this, that there's a lot to be said about this very interesting and then he talks about the harmony of four yogas he says any one of them will take you to enlightenment or more than one will take you to enlightenment but he recommends a harmony a combination of all four people might think that's something unique to vivekananda but actually it isn't all the traditional acharyas If you look at the teachings of Shankara, Ramanuja, in fact, in Sanatana Dharma, generally um, meditation, devotion, uh, Vedanta Vichara, and uh, puja, seva, karma, all of them are always these ingredients are always there. But the combination may be different. The hierarchy may be different in different practices. But somebody else had raised their hand. I'll come to you next, the gentleman here, and then next. Yes, you first, you. Yes. And uh this is largely through devotion and you also mentioned uh the spiritual and the ritualistic. I I feel like this addresses the how but not the why. Hmm. I mean, why should we even break the cycle of karma? Yes. Incentive is there to break the cycle of karma. Because of suffering, because we are trapped here. Cycle of karma means causality. Cause and effect. So I have generated some causes and this has given me this life here. And it is not fulfilling. So yeah, the the law of karma would say you want it to be more fulfilling. Well, do more good, generate better causes. You will get better results next time. So that is the philosophy of the Purva Mimamsa, the earlier portion of the Vedas. They say this is what you can do in life, and most people try to live like you know the idea would be a better life, little better than what I have got. But spirituality is much more radical in all spiritual traditions, and Vedanta especially. You should. at no point will you reach a final resolution you will keep coming back into suffering again and again and again and nothing ever will be fully f- um, satisfying or fulfilling that's why you must a mature um, seeker will finally seek to go beyond this limited existence you had a follow on yeah, yeah um, sorry you, you said that yes suffering or dissatisfaction because some people say we are not suffering especially a lot of people in manhattan are not really suffering very terribly yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah suffering. perceived suffering or dissatisfaction yes i think back to last week when you mentioned another swami ji within the order who was almost fully paralyzed yes. described this person as one of the most contented satisfied people you've ever met right right i mean i don't think suffering itself is the reason to to break the cycle i mean it is just perceived suffering at the end of the day yes and to go beyond that to see that this suffering uh, the, is a broken body uh, is at the level of the body and i am not the body not the mind that's why he did not see it as suffering at all 
So what will happen? What happens at the level of the world, at the level of the body? That will continue to happen. That will not change because suddenly I've become, you know, I've found religion. The body will continue to be the body. The world will continue to be the world. And if I do not either, you know, get self-realization or God-realization, I will suffer. To come to that level of that Swami, you need spirituality. There are just two ways of going beyond karma. One is to get hold of something which is beyond karma itself. What is that? There's a lot of karma. Ishwara, God, Bhagavan. God is beyond causality. Causality is basically the power of God. It's part of Maya, the power of God. So catch hold of God, by the grace of God, you go beyond karma. That is the devotee's way. Or you realize yourself to be beyond karma. That is the self-realization way. I am Atman, I am Brahman. And suddenly you see, it's alright. I'm perfectly alright. So these are the only two ways. I'll come to you. Yes. Um, so each week we're learning about how spiritual practice should, how we should live our life through spiritual practice. How should we think about guilt when we're not able to do it consistently? Yes. I'm, I'm glad you raised this um, topic. Actually, w- these, these two verses, they mean us. When we talk about even an evil person is transformed into a saint, we talk about Angulimala, at least we think that, yeah, it's about Angulimala. I'm not a serial killer, so I, it's not, he's not talking about me. Yes, we are not serial killers. That's true. Very good. But we, we, all of us, we have guilt. It's a very good question. And that burdens us. That forms a barrier between us and God. How do you do about that? That's why repentance, prayaschitta in Sanskrit is an important part of the beginning of spiritual life. In, in Christianity there is confession. Uh, in Hinduism there is prayaschitta. That is, um, how would you translate that? Prayaschitta means repentance. Redemption, repentance. Redemption, uh, repentance. Yes. So we have built up we have set into motion such powerful forces in past lives. You believe it or not, but there we have had many lives and so oh, what was I in a past life? Don't bother to find out. <laughs> you want to get a glimpse of what I was in the past life? Look at our own lives now. This is the result of what we were in the past. How do we break out of it? And we need help there. That's why many of the spiritual practices Meditation techniques, the fantastic insights of non-duality that you are the witness consciousness and all of that. They're so powerful. But at the end of the day, they don't seem to do much for us. Not their fault. It's our fault. We carry a burden. Vivekananda says, we come trailing clouds of glory, says the poet. But not all of us come trailing clouds of glory. We come. Many of us come trailing clouds of black smoke. <laughs> And in this life, we have a burden of guilt. So, here he, Krishna gives the solution to that. He is actually speaking to us. And he says, one powerful way of transcending this and transforming this, and this um, burden of guilt is devotion to God. Don't keep your mind on, I'm miserable, I've done this or that, I'm a sinner. Keep that mind on God. 
so powerful, so purifying, that the Lord will show a way out for us. You know, so we don't have to pay for what we did. And uh, the Holy Mother says that uh, where a person would have been pierced by a spear, where they would have lost a leg, you get a pinprick. Because of this armor of God, of devotion to God. And the go goal is no longer that I will escape punishment by being devoted to God. The love of God is so deep and so burning and so all-consuming. And if the Lord wants me to be punished for it, I'm fine with it. Ramanuja's guru, Yamunacharya, this is what a beautiful hymn. He prays to the Lord Vishnu, to God. He says, I stand before you. So fallen, such a sinner I am, that I cannot even, I do not dare to ask for forgiveness. Do with me what you will. Now he's a saint. I mean, he, what, what sinner is he? Nothing, he's not done anything. But, uh, but that's the attitude. So anyway, the answer to your question is, this is the answer to your question. That's what Krishna is actually giving the answer to this question which we all should have. What do we do with guilt in our lives? You offer it to the Lord and love God. Love God as much as you can. And that will, uh, you'll see in time, we are cleansed of that. Direct disciples, Swami Shivananda, Brahmananda, all they to, their answer to this question of feeling of repentance, of guilt, of sorrow, is that um, don't do it again and say sorry to God, to uh, you know, ask for forgiveness from God and don't do it again. If you feel that's not enough, then they would give some practice. Some, we often don't feel it's enough. We feel we need to suffer. In God's eyes, it's all right. You're with children. But we need to stop doing it and we need to change our lives. That is very important. There's a song, Bengali song, which says that you, my Lord, are all forgiving. You forgive everything except that which demeans your forgiveness. Khumive na tumi khamahinota. That which demeans your forgiveness and the Christian doctrine of you must also forgive others. That's also very, very, very powerful. If I'm unforgiving, God also will be unforgiving to me. And if I devalue God's forgiveness, that I again go back to repeating the same thing again, uh, then that is not, uh, uh, that, that should not happen. God's forgiveness is very valuable, very valuable. Quickly, we have run out of time. Uh, you, you, and lady there, yes. And you had a, your hand up. Did you have a question? Let's quickly hear the questions and see if I can add, address them. You were speaking about the sadhaka and in the context of shubhu and ashubhu. Yes. Is this somehow related to what Thakur uh, said about avidya maya and vidya maya? Yes, but then you have to reconfigure that Shubha and Ashubha, auspicious, inauspicious in terms of Vidya Maya and Avidya Maya. Avidya Maya is that which leads us into samsara. Vidya Maya is that which leads us beyond samsara. Both are Maya. Just as one is the garland, another one is the snake. But actually the rope is the reality. Yes. The motivation 
Yes, the same action externally, that's what Krishna says. But internally, that third per level, person at the third level is internally offering it to God. Yes, I am bound to hold a job. I am bound to, so I have these kids, I am bound to raise them. I have this responsibility in life, I am bound to do that. Good! This is an opportunity for me to practice spiritual disciplines. So I am doing the same thing which my neighbor is doing, but the neighbor is doing it because he's on that second level, a responsible citizen, a good person, is doing that so that his life is good, his or her life is good. I'm doing it for the love of God. Internally. There's no difference externally. And try to keep it as hidden as possible internally. Uh, so the more we express it outside, the more force it loses. Yes. Uh, lady there. No, it doesn't. It, doesn't it, can, it can reduce. It can, it can affect in many different ways. If I, a, a spiritual seeker is generally a good person. So you're consistently doing good things. When you consistently do good things, many things happen. One is the grace of God is with you then. Second, our past karma is a whole storehouse. There's a good and bad. But generally if you keep on doing the good, it's the good part of it which gets activated. You get the results of that. Um... More good that we do, even the bad karma which gives results of unpleasantness, we are not affected by that so much. We, because we are not looking for uh, worldly gains, or we're not really upset with worldly losses also. Is that what you're asking? Do even realize souls, they, like, um, you know, Sri Ramakrishna, they had, you know, he suffered cancer. Or yes, yes. Like, so the, the karma of the body does not seem to... No, it will, the world will continue as it is. There's that, that beautiful story about the Buddha. The monk asked the Buddha that, uh, what good has your teaching done? Because you said suffering is old age, disease, death. But you are becoming old. You are getting disease and probably you will die. Many of us who are following your teachings, we are getting old. Some of us have died. Some We are getting disease also. Then the Buddha's answer, very simple. But it shows us what is the meaning of spirituality. What does spirituality do? If it, You say that it's the goal is to remove suffering. But suffering is continuing because you define suffering as old age, disease, death. Old age, disease, death are coming to enlighten people also. Then the Buddha's answer was suffering is like being hit by two arrows. One arrow is what the world throws at you. Old age, disease, death, how people treat you, and all, all sorts of troubles in this world. The second arrow is your reaction to it. And most of our um, suffering is caused by our reaction to it. Almost all of it. The first arrow you have to deal with what the world throws at you. You have to deal with it through worldly means. Uh, Stomachache is there, take a medicine. Um, there's um, somebody, a burglar in your room, call 911. So that's a worldly way of dealing with it. It will never solve the problem entirely. There's the first arrow. Uh, but the second arrow, their spirituality works. Devotion, knowledge, meditation, these completely change our reaction to the world. And our real suffering is in the reaction. I, that person he mentioned last week's example of the Swami who was paralyzed in both legs, uh, was blind, so joyful. That the second arrow doesn't bother him anymore. That's what spirituality does. If you notice, Sri Ramakrishna's body passed away due to throat cancer. Ramana Maharshi had a tumor. 
and that's the way they died but throughout their lives also little problems ups and downs kept coming if you read the lives of the saints they seem to have more trouble than ordinary people but they are always joyous one common thing about sri ramakrishna ramana maharshi or all the saints of all the religious traditions you will read they don't complain they don't feel that they have anything to complain about we feel we have lots to complain about That's the first level, Pāmara. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't suffer in that way. The second arrow, but you just you wait. No. Uh, is it different from bliss or ānanda? Moksha is different from bliss or ānanda from an Advaitic perspective? No. Your nature is ānanda and your nature is moksha. In ac according to Advaita Vedanta, you are already moksha swarupa. Your very nature as Brahman is always free. So moksha is always attained. Advaita Vedanta is strange in that way. What do you get by Advaita Vedanta? What you have already always got. What can you get rid by Advaita Vedanta? What was never there? Praptasya prapti nivrittasya nivritti in Advaita Vedanta. Advaita says you'll get rid of samsara when you become enlightened. But your samsara was never there. Jagat mithya. And you will realize you are Brahman. But you are always where Brahman. Whether you realize it or not. That's what the Advaita does. Question. So in chapter 5, Bhagavan says, Sarva karmani manasa sanyasa says konvati. Then he goes on to say, Navadvare puredehi naiva kurvan nakari. Yes. Right? Mm. So is the naiva kurvan nakari, is that the ultimate uh, goal of like karma yoga? Yes. Yeah, there he says, in this body with nine gates, city with nine gates. What's the city with nine gates? God resides in the city with nine gates. What's that city? That's the body. And God resides, Atman resides, pure consciousness there, neither doing nor causing to be done. That's our real nature as a witness consciousness. It's only when we see ourselves as this I, this ego, immediately feel, I am the one who does things. I am the one who's enjoying or suffering or I want to enjoy and I do not want to suffer. I. That's at the center. Sri Ramakrishna identifies this I as ignorance. So when we step back from this apparent I into our real nature, which is that neither doer um, nor causing to be done, the witness consciousness. See, all the terrible things that go on in a horror movie. Can you blame the screen for it? Why, do you, why were you so horrible? The screen says, no, I'm the same. If it's a comedy, I'm the same. If it's a tragedy, I'm the same. If it's a horror movie or a science fiction movie, I'm the same. If there's no movie, I'm the same. That existence consciousness place, that's what we are. Already. We're already that. That's what is being pointed out. So on that very high note, let's wrap it up today. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu